Hebrews chapter 2 and the verse 1 I want to leave with you this evening. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we should let them slip. Now what follows in this new chapter is not separate from chapter 1. Its first word, therefore, tells us that. That's connecting us with what goes before. The apostle has been giving us teaching, and now he gives us application. And he says, therefore. And we have a point of application here. And it runs from this verse 1 down to the verse 4. You know that Paul likes to do this. He likes to give doctrine and then apply it. And he often uses this word, therefore. You see, doctrine in the Bible is always a practical thing. It's not something God gives to us just for our head, just to remain in the brain. It is something that is to get into our heart. Something that is to get into our lives. Doctrine in the Bible is unto godliness. Biblical doctrine is in order to make godly. Always having that effect in the people of God. In other words, it doesn't stop at our head. It goes through us right down to our feet. And that's what we have here. A practical response is asked for. And if there's not a response to the word that is practical, the word can be damaging to us. That's the danger. If the word is just a thing that gets into our head and it doesn't change us, it doesn't purify us, then it damages the soul. It harms. I think of of several harms that could come about if we're not being purified and sanctified by the word. One effect of that can be to make us proud. Knowledge puffeth up, the Bible says. If it's just theology in the head, it will just lead to pride. A proud mind and proud attitudes within one's own self. And we have to guard against that. And another harm that comes from the word, if it's not heeded, is that it hardens us. There's always a response to the word. If it doesn't humble, it hardens. It's like the sun, the light of the sun, the heat of the sun. Some soils, it melts and softens, and other soils it hardens, and that soil cracks, and it's harmed, and there's no life. And hardening of the heart is a slow deteriorating process. And so that we must pray the Lord will give us grace to obey it. And a third effect, of course, is judgment, divine judgment. Hardening is itself a divine judgment, but it's not the end. If we don't give heed to God's word, we will bring forth the fruits of that in our lives. 
in the judgments that follow upon us. So we have to carefully apply the word and have this therefore often coming to us with power as it is here tonight in the words of the apostle. So in sermons, application is essential because a sermon is a practical thing. A sermon is a preaching in order to change people. Not a lecture, not just a Bible lesson. A sermon is not that on its own. A sermon is practical. That's why it's not important that you essentially remember all the sermon word for word and everything you have memorized by heart. It affects you there and then in the pew. It ought to do something in your heart and in your life there and then. And you ought to go out changed somewhat. Might not be drastically changed, but we should always go out somewhat changed by the word of God. And I've said that the epistle to the Hebrews is like a sermon. It's very different from the other epistles. It's more like a sermon that was preached to a little congregation and it's got written down on paper and Paul has posted it on for other people. So it's just like that. It's like a little sermon. Whatever the first congregation was that heard it, we don't know, but it has sermonic characteristics. And one of those characteristics is it's frequent exhortation, it's frequent application to the people of God. And we have this again and again throughout it. And this is its first occurrence. We ought, therefore we ought, that exhortation, that application. One expression that is particularly frequent throughout the epistle is let us. Let us therefore. He teaches a word and then he says, let us therefore. Uh, For example, in chapter 4, it occurs four times. Let us. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Let us labor to enter into that rest. Let us come boldly onto the throne of grace. Always this application because it's, it's like a sermon and the preacher is urging us on to go on with God. And we'll find this again and again as we go out, go throughout this, this, this epistle. Now the noticeable thing about these parts of application is that the preacher is always including himself. You will see in the text there that he says we ought to give heed. We. He doesn't say you. He includes himself. We. How shall we escape? We and us is is always what he is using. And it's here throughout verses 1 to 4. And it's all the same throughout the epistle. Let us. The preacher cannot exclude himself. Even when the preacher says you. And often the preachers and the prophets in the Bible did say you to the people. But even when they did do that. They were never excluding themselves. And they always felt that they had to obey the word too. And this preacher here is like that. He always includes himself among believers that he exhorts. Now the particular form of application here in this paragraph is one of warning. It's a warning. It's a very solemn warning in actual fact. You see that especially in verses 2 to 3. If the word spoken by angels was steadfast 
all the transgressions receive the just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So there's a warning here in this point of application. And there are several solemn warning passages throughout the epistle to the Hebrews, and God willing, will come to them in time. And they're very difficult passages because in them it's Christians that are being warned. Not sinners outside there, the ungodly and the pagans out in the estates. It's the Christians in the church who are being warned in these passages. And they're very difficult passages to preach through. And the apostle is not only speaking to the Christians, he's, he's including himself even in, in these warnings. How can we escape if we neglect the so great salvation Now, we may preach the gospel from these verses, of course, and we often do. The great salvation, how will we escape? If we neglect the great salvation, we can preach the gospel to sinners from those verses. But the Christian church must not forget that this is a passage not for pagans, but for those within the church, for professing Christians. Not for sinners who have not professed, but for sinners who have professed. This is the honest way of dealing with these passages. And there there are difficulties. He's warning the visible body. The difficulty of these passages is that they have caused some to say that true Christians can be lost. That somehow true Christians can perish. That somehow true Christians can go to hell. There are people who have drawn that conclusion from these warning passages. Uh, And the Arminians, they they particularly use these passages to, to set forth that teaching. Now, I don't believe that those passages do teach that. They don't teach that true Christians can perish. But they do teach that all of us as professing Christians need to be warned. Even Christians need to be warned. All that profess the name of Christ need to be warned. Those in the church need to have these solemn exhortations as well as sinners outside. And so this preacher to the Hebrews is a true watchman. Because that is what a watchman does. He warns the people He warns the people of God. Remember, God came to Ezekiel, son of man, I have made thee a watchman, not unto the pagans, but I've made you a watchman unto the house of Israel. I've made you a watchman unto my people. I've made you a watchman unto the people that are in covenant, a people who have the Bible. A people who profess my name and among whom I dwell and in the center of whom I have put my house. I've made you a watchman unto them. And what does a watchman do? He does two things. Hear the word at my mouth. Listen to my word cheerfully, watchman. And then secondly, warn the people. Warn the house of Israel from me. Warn them. 
So the watchman has to warn the house of God, the house of the saints, the house of Israel. Christians need warned. This passage shows us that and several others that follow in the epistle. And Paul is always doing this. Remember how he wrote to the Colossians? He says, we preach Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. He's speaking about Christians. Christians that he wants to present perfect in Christ. He's saying we warn them all the time in order to that. He said to the elders in Ephesus, I shun not to declare unto you the counsel of God. Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Watch and remember that for the space of three years I did not to cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So he was among the people. He's warning the elders now to take heed. And he says, I was amongst the people doing the very same thing, warning them night and day with tears. And to the Corinthians he wrote, I don't write these things to put you to shame. And there were problems in the Corinthian church. But he says, I I don't expose them to shame you, he says. But as my beloved sons, I am warning you. I'm warning you. So the minister has to warn the flock. And he includes himself in in that warning. Let let us, we ought. Do the baptized need warned? Indeed they do. Because here it is in the Bible. Do the baptized need to be warned about neglecting salvation? Indeed they do. Because here it is in the Bible. Lest we neglect so great salvation. Did the apostle not have assurance? Of course he had insurance. But assurance does not mean you can be complacent. And assurance does not mean you can be slack and careless. What I'm saying is, child of God, you cannot leave Christ. You cannot go back. You dare not go back. You must not go back. Christians have to know that. They have to be told that. And the evidence that you are a true Christian is that you never neglect God's salvation and you never forsake Jesus Christ. And you have to be warned against that. So keep on believing. Keep on trusting. We ought to give them more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Now I draw your attention then in this verse to two things. There's a duty first of all. We ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. And there is a reason lest at any time we should let them slip. The duty of careful hearing and heeding, first of all. And now this word ought, I don't want you to think it suggests something trivial. Whenever perhaps it had a stronger sense whenever our English translators used it, but in the word ought today, we, it's a sort of, we think it something you can leave. You know, it's maybe not that important. We ought, but if you don't, it's not so important. I don't want you to think it has that sense. It doesn't. It's a very strong word. Uh, It means we must. We must. It behoveth us. It is most necessary. It's the very same word that the Lord Jesus Christ uses whenever John writes the gospel. He's writing in Greek, of course. The Lord Jesus spoke in Aramaic. But when he got the, the Greek word for it, it's this Greek word that he uses. 
Ye must be born again. You ought to be born again, but he means you must be born again. It's a necessity. We must do it. It's not a trivial matter that can be omitted. We have to. We must. Paul uses the same word in in other places. In, In Hebrews 11, about faith, he says, He that cometh to God must believe that he is. I mean, you must. If you don't believe that God is, you couldn't possibly come to God. You'd be an atheist if you didn't believe that God is. You couldn't come to God. You couldn't pray. So you must believe he is. Most necessary to believe in his being. Uh, And that's the same here. You must. There's nothing so basic and important as giving heed, earnest heed, to the gospel and to the things that we have heard. So here Christians have to to do this. You must. What does he mean then by the things that we have heard? Well, it's obvious that he means God's word. It's a reference to the Bible, to the Old Testament and to the New Testament revelation. It's connected to what he said before. You remember how in chapter 1, verse 1, whenever he started talking about God, what, what, is it that, what is it that God has done? He spoke. God has spoken. That's what he said. He, Sundry times, divers manners, and time past, unto the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken unto us by his Son. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. God has spoken. He's spoken in his word. He's given the revelation of himself by his own mouth in the Old Testament scriptures by the prophets and now in these New Testament times by his own son. Therefore, we ought to give earnest heed to him. So that's the context. The Old Testament, the New Testament, they both are authoritative they both come from God. They have the same infallibility. They have the same message. But there is a progression. And there is a fullness in the New Testament. And there is a superiority in the New Testament. Because the Son of God himself has come and spoken. In the flesh. And so obviously that speaking is the completion of the revelation. We have the full revelation. We don't just have the Old Testament prophets. We have had Christ come into the world. We have the New Testament now. We have the gospel. We have the the epistles of the apostles. We have the words of the Lord and those who heard the Lord. We have the whole full revelation of it all. Of the whole gospel. And therefore we ought to give the the heed on to that. The Old Testament saints, you see, they didn't have the whole evangel. They were in in some darkness still. They didn't have the whole fullness of the light because the Son of God hadn't come. But now the Son of God has come. And we in the New Testament saints, we ought to give them more earnest heed. Even more so than the Old Testament saints. Because we have the full orbed gospel of Jesus Christ. It must have our whole attention. And in the verses that follow, the apostle again emphasizes the New Testament revelation. Verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, 
which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, by the Lord himself, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. So the Lord himself has spoken. The Lord himself has given the gospel in his life and in his teaching. And it was confirmed by the apostles. There are all these miracles by the Lord Jesus himself and the miracles by the apostles. That all confirmed its authority and its infallibility and that it was a message from, from heaven. So we have the sure word of the gospel, complete and final. The whole Bible. Therefore it is essential. Very, very essential that we give heed unto it. Special heed unto it. All the time. And so you cannot neglect your Bible, child of God. And as a congregation, we cannot let anything put it into the background. We dare not. We're not to give less earnest heed to it. We're not to give it less a place. We're not to let it go into the background as something trivial and unimportant. No, more and more, more earnest heed, more and more is to get the central place, more and more is to get the prominent place, more and more is to come to the fore. More and more, not less and less. More earnest, not less earnest. That's important. It's necessary for the church to do that. And so there's nothing more important than an attendance to the word, to its hearing, to its heeding. This word heed, we ought to give heed. This is a very interesting word that the apostle uses. He uses it again in chapter 7, verse 13. He's speaking about the priests, and he says concerning the priest, giving attendance at the altar, giving heed at the altar. What does that mean? Well, the priest, he attends at the altar. He does, you know, he cuts up the sacrifices. He does all his bits and pieces, his job around God's temple, at the altar, whatever he has to do, laying the pieces out, catching the blood, pouring it out of a special place, doing the ceremony all around, all the ritual. He has to give heed to all of that. Attendance at the altar. He can't be thinking of other things. His mind can't be away far off in other places. He has to give heed to that. He has to give everything to that. He can't do anything wrong, nothing out of place. Careful attention. Not careless. He dare not be careless. He dare not be negligent at the altar. And we cannot be careless with God's word. We can't be negligent at the book. We dare not. That's what we have to do with the gospel. It has to have our full attention, brethren and sisters. We have to put other things in their proper place and it has to get our, our full attention. We, it's saying we, we need this more and more. We don't need less attention to the word. We need more attention to it. Attendance at the word. That's what this word heed means. And God's Son, you see, has bothered to give it to us. That's another thing. Why, why has the Apostle gone so much into God's Son? When he says there concerning God's Son, he, he appointed him heir of all things. He's the brightness of his glory. He made the worlds. He upholds everything by the word of his power. He's at the right hand of God in the heavens. He is better than angels. He's a more excellent name than they. 
Well, why does Paul go through all of that? Because that's the one who spoke to us. That's the one who's given us the word. That's the one whose, whose word this is. He, he made the worlds. He upholds the worlds. He took away our sins. He's purged them by his blood. He's at the right hand of the majesty and power. His name is high over all and all the universe. He rules over angels and over men. And he has given us his word, the gospel. Because of who he is, the son. Therefore, therefore we, we ought to give the more earnest heed. This isn't just some angel speaking. Yes, the angels, they were participating in the giving of the law. He goes on to say that. But this is the son who's spoken to us. Well, we ought to be careful that we give heed. You see, they didn't listen. The Old Testament people of God will maybe see this in another time. They didn't listen. They fell away in the wilderness. They didn't believe. He goes on to talk about this in chapters 3 and 4. They hardened their hearts. Do you think we're any different? Us New Testament saints? Do you think we're any different from them? Do you think we're not capable of falling away by the wayside? Of having unbelief in our hearts? Having hard hearts? We're just the same as them. But we dare not. Because it's the Son of God who's spoken to us. In the flesh. We have the full orb gospel. This is what the apostle is meaning here. More attention. Now this word, more earnest giving heed. I want to illustrate that. The more earnest heed. The more earnest. Not the less earnest. That, that more earnest means more abundantly. More exceedingly. As I was thinking about the use of the word, I was struck by how the Jews are described whenever they wanted Jesus Christ crucified. You know how they wanted Christ crucified? And Pilate came out. He wanted to appease them. He wanted to calm them down. He wanted to still them and get Jesus off the hook kind of thing. But you know what the Bible says? They cried out the more exceedingly. That's the very same word here. They cried out the more earnestly. They wouldn't let it slip. They didn't get less and less. Okay, you know, we'll go off now. We'll pop enough of that. No, Pilate tried to appease them and they rose up stronger and stiffer and louder. More exceeding, more earnest. Crucify him, crucify him. More earnestly, they cried out. And Christians are to have the same a determination to keep Christ. The determination that they had to get rid of Christ, that's the determination that we ought to have to keep him. To give him the more earnest heed, the more earnest attention. And so that's what the apostle is saying here. And he's not just talking about hearing sermons and listening to the word. He's talking about Christ. Because we don't just have the word that Christ gave. We have the Son of God himself. He came. He is the revelation. He is the truth. And it's him that we have to give earnest heed to. We're keeping him. So don't neglect your Savior. Don't leave the Lord. That's what the apostle is really meaning here. Don't leave the Lord. You have the Savior. You have the, the whole gospel in the Son of God. Keep on believing in him. And don't neglect him. Don't be negligent concerning him. Hold him fast. That's what the apostle is saying here. 
And then he adds a reason, lest at any time we should let them slip. The word them is in italics, it's not there. Lest any time we should let slip. Let slip. This, this word slip is its only occurrence in the New Testament, but it is a compound word made up of two words, which means from and to flow. To flow from, like, like water passing, like water drifting by, flowing, to flow from, to slip from. To slip from Christ, to slip from the Word. A good illustration of it is a boat. You know, a boat is moored or is anchored, but if the anchor goes, if the ropes break, if the hold to the moorings somehow is, lets go, what happens to the boat? It drifts. Drifts away. And further away and away. And that takes time. That doesn't happen suddenly takes time to slip away and drift away. And that's the danger in our Christian life, that we could drift. That things could happen around us, Satan or being preoccupied with things and, and we're drifting away from the Lord, slipping away, further away from Him. We can't let that happen. That's the danger, you see. This is what he's warning against. You cannot let things slip. You can't drift from the Lord. You have believed in Him. You have held fast to Him by faith. And you must not let Him go. You must not slip away from Him. You must hold fast to Him to the end. You must continue believing. This is what the Apostle is saying. You dare not drift from the Lord. It reminded me of the disciples. How that it says in John chapter 6. Many of the disciples went back. What kind of disciples were they? I don't know. But they didn't stick with them to the end. They went back. And there were a whole lot of them too that went back. They drifted. And in fact they never come back again. It says they walked no more with them. They had finished with Christ. So you see there are disciples, professing disciples, who seem to start off as disciples and, and yet, you know, they're not the real, they're not the real thing. Walk no more with them. They drifted away. And the Lord just turned to Peter and to the other apostles and he says, are you going to go too? What kind of attitude had, had the real disciples, the true disciples? They said, Lord, to whom can we go? There's no one else. Thou hast the words of eternal life. We're not letting you slip, Lord, out of our grasp. We're holding fast to you, Jesus Christ. That's the attitude in a Christian. That's what you have to be warned to have, child of God. Keep on believing. Some people talk very lightly about the gospel. and Like a man at a, at a funeral who said, to give a testimony, says, I have my ticket. Jesus given me my ticket for heaven. Jesus doesn't give you a ticket for heaven. Jesus isn't the means to an end. And the end is the most important thing. Jesus is the end. Jesus is the whole lot. Christ is all and in all. It's Christ you need. It's Christ you want. It's Christ you have to have. And you can't let him go. You have to hold to him fast. 
He's all. You receive him and you hold fast to him and you dare not drift from the Savior. You have to be warned against that. And that's what this epistle is about. I think of Adam and Eve. And really that was their sin. They they drifted away. and They let the Lord slip. He was walking amongst them in the garden. They had fellowship with him in the garden. They had him near. They had him in the midst. And they should have threw the serpent out and said, we're going to keep on walking with the Lord. But they let him slip. They they drifted from the Lord whenever the, the devil came in. They let it all fade away, the word that the Lord gave them. And they were sinless. That's the thing, they were sinless. They drifted away. Not just from the word that the Lord gave, but from the Lord himself who was in their midst. Satan came and they drifted away. Satan came and they let the Lord go. Satan came and they were careless. They were negligent. Christians cannot do that. Christians cannot be negligent. Christians cannot let the Son of God go. Christians cannot drift from the Savior. They dare not. We can never be careless towards God's Son. We must never be negligent of our Savior, who is himself the great salvation. We can never be negligent of him. You must never be careless, child of God, or let Satan remove you. You remember Paul to the Corinthians? He says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And then he seems to think about the Garden of Eden and the fall of Adam and Eve. And he says... I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity of the gospel that is in Christ. In Christ. And as I said, this is not something that usually happens in a moment. It can take time, it can take weeks, it can take months, it can take even years slipping away. And so saints need to awaken early to this. Give them more earnest heed. Be on your guard, be vigilant, be watchful. Awaken early to any drifting from the Lord. As the Apostle puts it later, in other metaphors, don't draw back, but rather draw near Let us come nearer. Let us come on to the throne of grace. Not away from it. Let us go on to maturity. Let us hold fast the profession. Not let it go, but hold it all the tighter. Let us run the race. Not backtrack. Not slacken. But let us run the race. These are all the metaphors he uses to get across the same message. We can never let slip our Saviour. Keep on believing. This is what this whole epistle is about. The chapter 11 faith chapter. Keep on having faith in the Son of God. Keep on believing and trusting in Him. To the very end. 